Welcome to Positively Leading, the podcast that's all about helping you grow your resilience, leadership and influence. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Howling, and each week we will be diving into a variety of topics related to leadership, communication and personal growth. From feedback and accountability to diversity and inclusion, we'll explore the skills and strategies that you need to become a more effective leader. So whether you are looking to improve your communication skills, build strong relationships with your team, or simply become more confident in your role, join me on this journey of growth and discovery, and let's get positively leading. Hello and welcome to another episode of Positively Leading. And it's super exciting today because today the show becomes a teenager, 13 episodes. And actually, it's the 13th episode, but it's also the second in our series of four back-to-school themed ones. And our focus today is on creating a culture of connection in these first few weeks of school and beyond. So in today's episode, we're going to explore what a culture of connection is and why it matters the six essential ingredients, and then four immediately applicable strategies that you can start connecting with staff and with students in the first few weeks of term. Ready? Let's dive in. And we're going to start with connection itself. Because as human beings, we're wired to connect. It's one of the deeper psychological needs that we have to feel that sense of belonging. We're hardwired to make friends and create strong relationships and be part of a group. An idea of social connection and inclusion is critical to so many aspects of our health. And it's not just a nice to have, it's an absolute must have. And we might not realise quite how obsessed our brains are with it. And this is sort of really deeply unconscious and rooted in part of our brain, the amygdala, which instinctively keeps us safe. So when we feel rejected, The brain, followed by our bodies, go into a stress response. So that's like the fight, flight, or freeze. And from a school perspective, when this happens, we can become less creative, less rational in our thought, and less collaborative. So, so much research has found that psychological safety and that sense of belonging and connection are so vital to success in schools and other workplaces but also how fragile it can be. And I love how Brene Brown defines connection. She says that connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. So there's real clear links here, right, between those needs of belonging that we have and psychological safety. And neuroscientist Matthew Lieberman states simply that connection is absolutely a superpower because it can make us happier, healthier, and more productive. And connection in this way can affect the neurotransmitters in our brains and the hormones through our bodies. So when we get that need for connection met, we become more creative, we make better decisions, and we are more resilient. And really, Connection is life-giving and disconnection is life-draining. So when we or when people feel connected to a group, whether it's in a team or a school or a wider community or as students in the classroom or a sports team or a year group, they're more likely to give their best efforts and have that desire to contribute in a meaningful and much more collaborative way. 
So connection, right, is super important. But then what is a culture of connection? What does that actually mean? But before we think about that, let's think about culture itself, because culture is something that's really difficult to describe. It's often known as the way that we are, the way that we do things around here. But actually, the more that we're able to pinpoint and to work and to have a strategy or an understanding around culture, the more we're able to grow it. There's a saying, if you don't manage your culture, it will manage you. So let's think about this now. Research suggests that there are six different types of school culture. So the first, and this is like the gold standard, if you like, the one that we really want, is collaborative. And this is where staff are really driven by this desire to see all students succeed. And there's a real curiosity about learning and teaching and action research. And staff are working together collegially and collaboratively. And there's open challenge, but that's done with trust and collective reflection and collective efficacy. So the idea of a collaborative culture is the gold standard. Now, another type of culture is comfortable collaborative. And this is, you know, it's a nice place to be. Great care is taken to ensure that, you know, all staff members are happy and satisfied and there's a really positive atmosphere. Staff can feel appreciated and happy, but conversations will rarely go below surface level. There's minimal reflection and there's that adage of the saying that the good is the enemy of great. You know, that's, that's a real core part of comfortable collaborative. Then we've got the third, which is contrived collegial. And this is where, you know, it sounds good, you know, it's collegial, but it's the leadership that are driving this. So the leaders are basically telling staff how to behave. They're leading all conversations about practice. So leaders may be really happy, but teachers less so because there is a lack of autonomy in this kind of culture. And then this can lead then to learned helplessness. So there's a big difference to think about between compliance or behavioral compliance and internal commitment. And we're slowly getting into worse and worse cultures now. We start with the best, right? With collaborative. But the fourth is balkanized. And this is where there are cliques. There's competition for resources. Um, there's a reluctance to accept responsibility. And when this happens, the conversations tend to drift towards blame. And the relationships that are strong, often, between faculty members, these are more important than, than student progress. So it can be really divided in this. And the fifth is similar. The fifth one is called fragmented culture. But this is where people are doing their own thing and there's a real air of indifference and apathy around. So classroom doors can stay shut and that's both really sort of <laughs> physically and also metaphorically. There's no professional discussion there at all, especially regarding you know, improving and transforming learning and teaching and best practices. And then we come to the six and the six is a toxic culture. And this is where there's a real us and them mentality with students and parents and leadership team classed as them. And what we see here is that new ideas are often shot down really quickly and there's quite a high degree of sarcasm and then fear is, you know, starts to breed and there's resentment and uncertainty and negativity. What happens then is that it just can become a really difficult place and toxic place to be. But if we think about the culture that we want, which is that collaborative culture, a culture of connection can fuel this. Because through connection, people can develop those supportive and cooperative and collaborative relationships. And what you're 
also get with this is that there is an environment, a culture in which you can have appropriate challenge and feedback. And as I say, a culture of connection can really support with this. So you may be asking, what are the ingredients of a culture of connection? Well, from my research, there are six. And I'm going to walk you through each of the six now. The first is psychological safety. And this is where we feel accepted and respected in, in our place of work, in our schools, and that there's a real sense of trust and mutual respect in which people can be comfortable being themselves. It means being able to show yourself without fear of negative consequences. So this is where we thought about that, the fight, flight or freeze response earlier on. That fear is not there. And why is psychological safety necessary? Well, because it improves communication, motivation. It can improve individual and organizational learning. It can increase innovation and creativity and engagement because people are not afraid to share that open, supportive, forward thinking challenge. Now, the second ingredient is an ethic of care. And this is where there's a real active promotion of well-being ensuring that people feel valued and respected and cared for. And this is both relating to professional learning, but also pastorally, right, both for staff and also for students. And this is important because it can support the building of resilience and empathy. And all of these are enhanced through appreciation, through trust and through care. So when we have great teacher well-being, that's going to promote great student well-being. And the idea then of collegiality and collaboration, all of these things demonstrate care. Now, the third ingredient is belonging. And this is where we have that emotional and often intellectual connection with our culture and the community of a school. And there's a real sense of loyalty, safety and security, that feeling of connection and belonging. And this is important because when we feel that, there's an emotional investment that comes. And when we have a community with really high levels of trust and collaboration, the idea of individual and collective responsibility flourishes and we can learn and grow together. Now, the fourth is inclusivity. And this is where staff are actively involved in the development of the school and its culture and its community. And they feel listened to and empowered and actually co-owners of the school's strategic direction. And this is important because purpose and passion have a direct effect on self-efficacy. So we're motivated as human beings, right? When we've got good ideas are tied to our action, but also we can become really energized when we are pursuing the action with others. And in particular, when we are recognized and celebrated for who we are as people, our strengths are recognized, Leadership is distributed and we have those opportunities together. And that links with our next one, our fifth, which is pro-social values. And this is where staff are individually and collectively responsible for promoting positive and supportive relationships. So we're creating a community here with this reciprocal relationship between people where there's a high level of trust. And this is important because social capital, our relationships and our connections, impact on the quality of the learning environment. And there's a move from an idea of shift from a culture of transaction, you know, of exchange to much more of reciprocity. 
of care and attention. And then the final one is accountability. Now, this is absolutely critical for high performance and everybody pulls their weight and holds themselves and each other accountable and responsible. And there's a real strengths-based approach. Now, we often can shy away from accountability because we think, well, crikey, if I have this tricky conversation with someone, then it might damage relationships. Whereas actually there's a real sense of connected accountability here. And this is important because intrinsic motivation is developed by having these kind and compassionate conversations rather than forced compliance. And we do this through feedback, regular and meaningful feedback with transparent and open and honest conversations. Now, a note here that a culture of connection, as I've just explained through the accountability ingredient, doesn't mean that it's all cosy and that everyone automatically becomes friends. And it also doesn't mean that, you know, problems don't exist. But what it does mean is that you don't get stuck in in niceness and there's no well, there is there can be negativity, absolutely, but what happens is that negativity can become a really healthy sense of conflict because you can learn to grow and to be sensitive to each other's needs and emotions and have those open, honest conversations, even when they might be uncomfortable. So accountability can play a really key role in a culture of connection. And particularly if we are thinking about international schools, which is where I worked for for over 20 years, it's super important because international schools are in this constant state of change There's often high staff turnover and student turnover as well. And this can bring real challenges for stability. So the more that you're able to build this culture of connection, this culture of collaboration is the better, right, for a school. And we know all of this intuitively, you know, (laughs) it doesn't mean, however, that everybody feels able to implement it. As a leader, you might inherit a toxic or a fragmented or another non-productive culture. Or perhaps, particularly in the international market, you may feel that key stakeholders or the country's culture expect a certain type of leadership style. And changing a culture isn't something that happens overnight. It can take years and years and years. But as we move into this last part of today's episode, I'm going to share four simple strategies that can be implemented immediately for some quick wins, which then can gather over time. Now, the quick wins that you'll see can impact climate, and that's the first step. And then over time, notably when combined with those bigger shifts in systems and processes and structures, you can then positively influence culture. But let's think about these strategies. And these are strategies, as I say, that you can get started with today. They can be applied in the classroom with students and also with staff too, so double the benefit. (laughs) So the first one is SMILE. It's simple, it's free, it's easy, and it's really impactful. And before you dismiss it and fast forward because you think it's too, 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 far too basic, listen on. Because research shows that children smile an average of 400 times a day compared to the average happy adult who smiles 40 to 50 times a day and the typical adult who only smiles 20 times a day. Crikey, that's some scary stats, right? And if we ask ourselves, you know, why is smiling important then? Well, it not only offers a mood boost, but it actually helps our bodies release cortisol and endorphins. And this can provide numerous health benefits for us. 
That might be reduced blood pressure, increased endurance, reduced pain, reduced stress, and even a strengthened immune system. And from a communication and a connection perspective, because we're wired from birth to mimic people around us, smiling is contagious. If you smile at people, even people you don't know, 80 to 90% will smile back because of those mirror neurons. And then this builds more positive emotions and creates a connection. So if spreading instant happiness appeals to you, if you want to feel like you belong when you arrive at work, and if you want to invite others to connect with you, setting off this chain reaction around school, then smile. Smile as you enter the building, walk the halls, join a meeting and everywhere in between. And this is something that I have to work out. I'm not a natural smiler. In fact, I was given some feedback once, which was painful, but uh, but really useful for me. And that was about the impact that my facial expression was having as a leader. I used to sit at the front of professional learning sessions and assemblies and concerts, absolutely loving the experience. But apparently my concentrating face looked angry and not happy. So the unknown message that I was sending wasn't one of encouragement, but actually perhaps the opposite. And imagine the impact that that could have had on a colleague or on a student who was presenting. And that's actually going to be causing disconnection rather than connection. So I'm now really conscious of softening my expression and smiling more. So try it, right? What have you got to lose? Smile, smile, smile. Now, the second strategy is to call people by their names. And we know this instinctively, but we don't always do it. Hearing your own name is like a neural ignition key. It activates attention and it engages us. Dale Carnegie once said, a person's name is the sweetest sound in any language. So taking the time and effort to learn names, whether you're a teacher or a leader, middle or senior, you know, do you know the names of all your colleagues? How about new members of staff, students in your classroom? If you don't know everybody's, get to work and learn them because this connection strategy can bring huge benefits to feel help people feel known and help them feel they belong. So when you're introducing yourself, ask for the other person's name, always. Scribble down names in a meeting according to where everyone's sitting and in classrooms. Think about a seating plan. You know, I know for me, I have to write things down. I'm really visual and kinesthetic and seating plans were an absolute lifesaver, as were photos with names written underneath people. So find what works for you to aid your memory, but find a way. And also learn how to pronounce somebody's name correctly. If you're not sure, ask and then write it down phonetically so you can learn it. Now in the classroom, don't give a student a nickname because it's easier for you to pronounce or remember. You know, if you're unsure, ask again. Ask, how would you like me to address you? And again, if you're thinking this is basic stuff, never underestimate the impact it can have. In my last headship, I had a teaching team of over 70 and a non-teaching team of 150 or more. And I made a real effort to learn everybody's name. And when I left, staff wrote thank you and goodbye notes for me. And one came from a colleague on the domestic team. It literally brought me to tears. And it said, good luck for the future, Sarah. Thank you for knowing my name. And it almost brings me to tears now. This stuff matters. People matter. And we can fuel connection by using names. Now, the third strategy is feedback. Appreciative feedback is super powerful. And this is acknowledging not someone's, just someone's contribution, but who they are as a human being. 
It's a superpower for connection. So be specific and genuine. Share appreciative feedback as often as you can. And in those first few weeks, aim to give at least one piece of appreciative feedback by the end of that first week or two. So in the classrooms with students, you can even call home too. And with staff as well. And do this like in a 360 view, right? Think about not only who's in your team, but if you're a middle leader, can you offer appreciative feedback to another middle leader or perhaps to your line manager as well? And equally, thinking about feedback, one of the biggest causes of disconnection, and and that's when we don't have the conversations that we need to have. So this is not an appreciative feedback conversation, but it's about noticing the small stuff. So understanding how everyday acts of incivility, which might mean picking up your phone during a meeting to check messages, this can really drain trust and damage relationships. So think about how you can hold each other compassionately accountable and have a short conversation. It's much easier to have a one, you know, 31 minute conversations than it is to have one 30 minute conversation. That's one of my mottos. So have that, those feedback conversations, right? Little and often. And the final strategy today is asking. And you could do this in a number of ways. One, think about spotlighting your own fallibilities. So demonstrating vulnerability, simple phrases like, oh, I could be wrong here, or what am I missing? Or what do you think? And asking for feedback after an event, or perhaps at the end of the first couple of weeks in school, what's worked well? What did you enjoy? What might you tweak? All of these are invitations to connect on a deeper level because they spark the response of how can I help in the other person? And in thinking about your induction programs, does your induction program include a two-way dialogue about what the new person can bring or what they think? Often what happens is we sit people down, whether that's young people, our students, or older, our staff members, and we introduce people to how a school runs. And in these early stages, rarely will we think to ask, well, what do you bring? What can you bring? What do you think? But there's so much research now that's coming out about when we value people's experience and opinions in those first few weeks, retention figures can go through the roof. So four super simple connection strategies that you can try straight away. Smiling, learning names and using them, giving feedback fast and asking. And remember, we've also covered today what a culture of connection is and why it matters and the six essential ingredients. Right, that's it for today. It's been fabulous to be with you. And until next week, keep on positively leading. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Positively Leading. I hope you found it helpful in your journey to becoming a better leader. And if you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on your favourite podcast platform. Your feedback not only helps me grow, but also helps others discover the podcast and join our community of positive leaders. And if you'd like to work with me, you can head over to sarahowling.com to find out how. Thanks once again for listening. And remember, the world needs more brilliant leaders just like you. So keep on positively leading.